Well, better late than never, JB. We do apologize to folks on uh, not starting uh, this show or getting it out, uh, let's say, earlier in the week. But uh, I do have an excuse. I, I, I You were uh, busy. I was a little busy. Uh, you know, I, I got the doctor's excuse here to give it to the principal. And he said, it's okay. Um, and so we're actually layering an uh, interview with a great coach uh, later in the show. More on that in a minute. But, yep, exactly. Oh, wow. That, is that the uh, international signal for uh, layering? Level, layering, level up. I don't know. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I uh, was one of the organizers, of uh, local organizers. There's a national structure and local structures. Uh, we, we're on the local level. Uh, in New York hosted Gable 19, 64 teams, including 16 women's cool. teams, um, four divisions uh, total, uh, and um, always a good time. We did it in Randall's Island, which uh, is basically between, or uh, let's say it's under the Triborough Bridge. So those three boroughs, uh, it's literally underneath right. the bridge that leads to them. And uh, over 1,100 athletes uh, showed up for this one. Uh, obviously, several teams oh. from New York eight uh, teams from New York, so one-eighth of the players, give or take, were New Yorkers, mm -hmm. but then the rest, uh, wild cards across the country, uh, all the way from Hawaii to Toronto to uh, Boston, and I know Toronto's not in this country, but we kind of just, uh, because they're only international team, we lump them in anyway, uh, in that term. But um, one person, uh, people wonder why we do this, or me and uh, the rest of the referees uh, that do this, or 55 uh, referees alone in this game, wow. or in the weekend. But uh, there was a story that I didn't know until Monday, uh, and I know the person involved in it. Uh, his name's Don Vance Green. We call him Vance. Uh, he's the quarterback for the Utah team. And Utah finished second in the C division, which was a very competitive division this year. And he found out that his mom who had been battling cancer, lost her fight on Thursday night. Yeah. And uh, Friday morning, he posted about it on Facebook, but then uh, not many people saw it, obviously, because I'm, you know me, I, I would be one of the first people to know because I'm a stalker, busybody like that on Facebook, apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, he played, uh, dedicated the tournament to her, uh, despite the, the loss on Thursday night. They came in second. Uh, he's a straight ally also. It's not like, uh, you know, the whole sexuality thing is for him a per, uh, you know, personal thing. Uh, he's an ally and one of the leaders uh, for that team. And, uh, you know, a tribute to him for doing what he did. Uh, you know, prayers uh, for his family uh, and uh, his mom who uh, passed. And uh, again, uh, cancer just sucks. It really mm -hmm. does. But that's yeah. just one of the many stories, and NFL Network actually was shooting out there, and it's going to have a documentary about our uh, little group, the NGFFL and uh, Gable 19, coming out soon on uh, the NFL cool. Network. So there's that. So we always start with big jokes in the, the open here. We, we get them a little informative. While I did that, I missed a lot of stuff, obviously, uh, in Division Three world. You gave me some good cliff notes. We caught up in the meantime, and... We've got enough right now to go and do week six of In the Huddle. Okay, uh, so we we got a roll here. Uh, we got a nice, it's longish, but it, I, I think it's a great interview uh, with one of our favorite coaches out there who got his first win. Let's go! I mean, yes, Dan Maroney <laughs> from uh, Anna Maria will be joining us later on in the show. And uh, he's, it's, it's real. You know, that energy he exudes is real because during the interview, you could feel he wanted to just like jump up and start doing, you know, uh, some training sessions and stuff like that with you and me, I think, uh, in that interview. And we get a couple of ring the bells and let's go uh, in that thing. So stay tuned for that later on in the show. We've got crunch time. What was it like 31 games, give or take uh, this week? Yeah, 31. So a little bit less than usual. And there are a couple of conferences that only had like one to two to three games. But 
There were some crazy finishes uh, this weekend. Over a third of them came down to either an overtime game, a last-minute touchdown, or some kind of six-point, you know, final, uh, you know, final wrap-up. So it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty exciting to recap all the action from Week Six. I, uh, I think you just gave your thirty thousand foot view of the week, so I'm not going to ask you to do it again. Uh, I think we should just roll and go ahead. I'll let you do the honors. Yeah, for the uh, the games that we're ending on October twelfth, um, week six. This is crunch time. Let's start in a place we don't often start in because they don't have a lot of games uh, to post sometimes. Uh, but now that we're in conference play for them, uh, we do have some and some highlights to go with it. We just talked about Anna Maria against Alfred State. And it looked like Alfred State was going to win this game. Uh, but uh, Anna Maria with 16 seconds left. It was Hayden Braga from Tanner Kingsley. And uh, they trailed by 14 points in the fourth quarter but end up winning... 21 to 20. Tyshawn Anderson with 24 tackles. My goodness, uh, Anna Maria had a defensive and an offensive uh, effort in that game yeah, for the did. win. And so for a team that has not won, they're 0-5 before that game. They're now 1-5 and lead, basically tied with one other team because remember, Dean isn't eligible. They are basically sitting atop the ECFC giving St. Lawrence 2010 some company, possibly, eventually. <laughs> we'll see. We'll talk about that later on. Yeah. Gallaudet. Yeah, absolutely. Gallaudet in overtime beats Castleton 28-27. to The Bison trailed by 14 in the third quarter, and they took a missed PAT by the, by the Spartans in overtime uh, for the win for Gallaudet, who had to overcome three interceptions in the game. And Dean, 28, SUNY Maritime, 10. Again, uh, you know, you wonder here, SUNY Maritime was really a hands-on pick for a lot of people to win the ECFC going in, but now they're 0-1. And it's going to be interesting to see what the win-loss record is of the ultimate winner of the ECFC, because by that happening, we're almost guaranteed a four-loss team now to win the ECFC. That's just... yeah. You know, for, for all the uh, insults out there about it, it, it's just reality, folks. Deal with it at this point. Yep. Let's go to the CCC. Husson 42, Curry 40. Uh, one of the big plays in this game was an 81-yard kickoff return. Uh, Curry trailed by 17 in the uh, third quarter. Tried to uh, put the comeback together, but could not do it as the defense of Husson stopped a two-point conversion uh, that was an attempt to tie with 157 left. Um, I know you were paying attention to this game, and, you know, Hassan, we, we've been saying it, don't take your eyes off them. Yeah, the uh, the Eagles seem to have figured out how to get the you know their new offense up and running, and it's been scoring them a lot of points these last couple of weeks, and it's given them a perfect start in CCC play. Um, we weren't so sure about them early on because of the, their struggles out of the gate. But now they seem like a pretty solid contender, and um, they'll definitely be in the mix for these last four weeks of the season. In the new MAC, Springfield continues to scrape together wins, and this is uh, really, I think, going to make the CC or excuse me, the new MAC. Uh, yeah, we were in the CCC a minute ago, Frank. The new MAC, uh, a very competitive. That's right. I just said there were four weeks left. There's five. It's all yeah, matters. it's okay. Numbers, conferences, it's it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, yeah, or at least does it should. Uh, Springfield 20 to uh, Coast Guard's 14. Chad Shade with 171 total yards after that great interview from last week. We must have inspired him uh, on the field, uh, passing and passing and rushing TD. Uh, but that Springfield defense really stepping up again. Two interceptions and held Coast Guard to 52 rushing yards. Uh, then we have Merchant Marine 30, Norwich 20. Merchant Marine remains undefeated, uh, as does WPI in the new Mac and keep your eye on that that game you know circle it and you know highlight it and bold face it and everything else because that looks like a huge game coming up and uh remember uh, that Merchant Marine had to rally from 14 nothing down in the game and defense again Merchant Marine since that FDU Florham game stepping up as they held Norwich to minus 11 rushing yards in that game and MIT they're still sticking around there at two and one in the conference 30, Maine Maritime, 12. And so there's 
that conference in the MASCAC, WestCon, 5-0. and I mean, we didn't know if they'd be the same team necessarily coming in, but they yeah. are right now, it seems like, at 38-21. <laughs> the brunt of their season is still to come. We know that in the conference. Yeah. But, you know, I, I believe uh, we have a, a clip here of a 30-yard pass from uh, – David uh, James to Will Daniels uh, to help some pull away in this game. James is throwing, and he's going to have himself a touchdown toss. Hello, end zone. Touchdown, Colonials. Will Daniels. And uh, they rallied. Uh, they had to withstand a rally from Mass Maritime, 21-7, to uh, that yeah. made it 24-21 late in the third quarter. So they really did need to pull away again in that game and then we have Framingham State 56 Fitchburg State 7 and you know you have Framingham State at 3-0 just sticking around there at 3-2 3-0 it's the outgained Fitchburg State 548 to 148 just dominated that game Bridgewater State 21 Worcester State 9 Bridgewater State at 3-1 of the conference uh, Worcester State had a 7-6 lead at the half but lucky 46 why don't you explain that one uh, to folks yeah, there was basically a couple of 46-yard um, uh, touchdowns, uh, I guess, uh, the, the final being a 46-yard uh, pick six to uh, put this one away. But, um, yeah, it was one of those situations where it looked like the Lancers might have the upper hand on the Bears, but then uh, they were able to turn things around, and uh, part of it was that 46-yard uh, pick six. And the State's still hanging around 38-13 over Westfield mm -hmm. State. David Hamilton and Nick Lancia uh, combined for 232 rushing yards, two touchdowns, and a 44-minute time possession for Plymouth State. If you hold on to the ball for that long, you should win the game, let's face it. Let's uh, go unusually to the uh, Mid-Atlantic here as the NJACs up next. Uh, Salisbury, number 14 team in the country, beats the number 12 team in the country, Wesley, 45-38 in a shootout. We will have a guest from Salisbury on. Uh, later in the week, uh, probably Thursday, we'll release our player interviews. And uh, we have basically a Wesley touchdown, Hess uh, with a 79-yard uh, touchdown catch. Uh, but that was eventually answered. This is really what, for me, was the final blow uh, for Wesley when Shamar Gray had a 13-yard touchdown run. He gave a two-touchdown lead to Salisbury. Wesley tried to come back but was unable to, 45-38. Is Salisbury for real after you watch some of this game? Yeah, I think so. And, and even though the, the defense gave up um, like three pretty long uh, touchdown plays in the game, they, they came up with stops when they needed them, and they held Wesley to a couple of field goals in the second half. That, and that's kind of what they've been doing this whole season. They, they, they don't put up gouty you know, numbers. You don't see a lot of shutout, shutouts. They're giving up over 20-something points a game. But um, quietly, the Salisbury defense has been, you know, helping. But their their offense is going to put up points. Uh, Langham and company, they that that option um, spread that they run is is definitely hard to stop. Uh, but the defense is is kind of quietly in the background, helping them now uh, take control of the of the NJAC race and potentially, you know. There are not a lot of teams in the mix, Frank, that could be a possible number one seed out of the East. It seems, but at least you know, at number two. Uh, could come from an NJAC champion type of situation. But Salisbury still has a couple of big games left to go. Uh, but this certainly puts them at the top of the heap. Montclair 10, TCNJ 7 as uh, Montclair tries to stick around here, even at a 2-4 record overall. Shaquille Birch uh, had the game-winning touchdown pass uh, to Kaysen uh, uh, Campbell with 3.03 left in the game. Also, Christopher Newport 34, William Patterson 10. William Patterson can't get that league win. That conference win for, would be the first one in a while for them if they were able to, but not having much success as Christopher Newport moves to 1-1 in the conference. Rowan 52, Kane 7, uh, 432 to 188 in yardage in favor of Rowan with eight different rushers, 41 carries, 217 yards, four touchdowns, and as, as always, a partridge and a pair of three. Uh, we'll go to the Mac next. Owls. Yeah, and Wilkes remains undefeated. This is a story developing here, and uh, a big game coming up against Del Val very, very soon. Tell you more about that in a little bit. Uh, but Jose Tabora, uh, game-winning touchdown run with 5:55 remaining. Uh, that's uh, what you're seeing. And remember that the Wilkes defense, despite giving up 40, 
uh, needs to show up at times, and they did with the interception of the final Albright drive. Crazy end of the first half in this game. I think what, three different touchdowns within the last two minutes. Bang, 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 and uh, including a kickoff return. So a crazy game, but Wilkes remains undefeated, importantly so. Let's look at Alvernia getting their first ever conference win over Lycoming. 29-24, Darius Sample with the 15-yard run with 103 remaining. Also threw for a touchdown in the game. And uh, congratulations, Alvernia. Uh, look, uh, you may be 1-3 in the conference, but at the same time, you got to start somewhere. As teams like Kings and Wilkes, this is a wide-open conference, so if you can start building yourself up, you might be able to do something within the, within the next couple seasons. FDU Florham had a big comeback effort in the game against Lebanon Valley, but Lebanon Valley able to score and then hold off FDU Florham one final time with a two-point conversion that failed with 2.04 remaining, 31-30 in favor of Lebanon Valley. The defense had three sacks for Lebanon and nine tackles for loss. That's huge. Uh, with one interception. Yeah. Misericordia, hey, you know, nothing unusual. They just they just won again, you know, from a come-from-behind win. I may yeah. be going to FDU Florham versus Misericordia this coming week. Uh, to me, uh, you know what, for all the crap I've talked about Misericordia on this show, <laughs> I got to go put my face out there because Lord knows I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. They're earning it. They just keep earning yeah. it. Their yardage numbers don't look good, as yeah. you said. It, it's incredible what they're able to do week to week. Widener looked like they were going to be okay in this game early on, but they didn't put enough separation between them and Widener. They're in uh, Mr. Cordy, and Mr. Cordy comes out and wins 40-35. to 931 yards of total offense, and Brady Williams with almost three uh, passing yards, which is a pretty good day for him uh, compared to other weeks. Three touchdowns, one interception. You credit Sean McGahey, who also had about 300 passing yards, two touchdowns, but two interceptions, possibly a difference maker in that game. And Kings falls to number 13, Del Val, 28-13. Anthony Fontana, we keep talking about him. His efficiency as a quarterback getting better now, and people should be aware of this fact now. 21 for 27, 146 yards, two touchdowns. Del Val defense also showing up with two interceptions and held off uh, Kings with only six rushing yards allowed in that game. To New York we go in the Empire 8. Let's talk about Brockport. They ain't going away. They have 13 scoreless quarters in a row right now. That's three shutouts plus one quarter. And that's a 38 to nothing win. Five touchdowns on the ground. And who is the quarterback in this game? You, you wrote this down. I had to go back and check. But who's back? Jason Helwig is back. I guess his, uh, his bad shoulder that he got banged up in week one in the Hobart game. Looks like he's he's back on track, although supposedly Freddie June, the the, uh, the the fantastic freshman, was fighting an illness. And maybe we have a quarterback controversy starting there. They, they're on the bye this weekend. Uh, we will see um, in a couple weeks. But great, uh, great game uh, by Jason, who we had on our preseason show. It's good to see that he's out there healthy and, and playing well. Uh, Steve Potter on the phone for you about this quarterback controversy that you're starting. Um, and we'll just go back to the game, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll go back to the games. Uh, Utica has to hold off St. John Fisher, 34-28. Congratulations to Elijah Bell, 49-yard pick, six. That makes three for his career, two for the back season, the and all-time yeah, uh, record for season and career, I believe. There's a free rusher, oh. and that's John Nish. Not enough to take him down. And that's going to be picked off by Eli Bell to the 40, 35, and no one's going to catch him. Eli Bell with the pick six touchdown pioneers. Yeah, obviously a somewhat younger program at Utica, but the fact is that <laughs> uh, he uh, has that record now, and he's been playing lights out. We had talked to him earlier in the season when I was there for the St. Lawrence game. 34-28 Utica. And Cortland State, 42, Morrisville State, 28. Very quietly, Cortland State has remained undefeated, 5-0. It's tough to believe that a Cortland team can be a quiet 5-0, but that's really happened this season. Brett Segala and company continue to just rack up the wins, 232 passing yards and a touchdown in that game. And let's go to the uh, Liberty League next. Hobart, 41, RPI, 27. Uh, let's go, give me some game flow on this uh, for about 20, 30 seconds here. You watch this game closely. Was RPI ever really in this game? Uh, 
Not really, no. I mean, Hobart came out and they were a totally different team than the one that you saw at Union a couple weeks ago. I mean, there were, you know, the teams did sort of trade some uh, you know, back and forth positions, but the Hobart offense really just started to click um, and the defense just really uh, was blitzing off the, you know, off the corners and, and really got to uh, uh, to George Marinopoulos, caused a fumble on a, on, a, on a key play, which then Hobart cashed in for a touchdown a few few plays later <clears throat> it was you know, 38 to 7 to start the fourth quarter um never was really in doubt and so it's kind of like oh wow so this so this Hobart team that, that I was certainly a little bit down on um now seems to have some new life they go into a huge game against Ithaca down in uh, Butterfield uh, Stadium this weekend Hobart's never won there um yeah, they've, they've kind of gone uh, about 500 with Ithaca since the, uh, since the year 2000, but um, shaping up to be a potential uh, championship caliber game. Ithaca's got a couple coming up because they still have to play Union, who's undefeated also, but uh, this is going to be another big uh, weekend for the Liberty League. Also, RPI uh, coming up as well. Just because of the loss doesn't mean that RPI is any less sure. of a team at the end of the day. Uh, for Ithaca, who won 48-14, number 10 team in the country, I uh, had Joe Germanario with 325 passing yards. Will Gladney and Andrew Vito had 20 combined catches for 250, 250 yards, two touchdowns. And obviously the defense showing up again, holding Buffalo State to 70 rushing yards. And Union beating up on Rochester 47 to 19. They moved to 5-0. So you've got two 5-0 teams in the Liberty League and a 5-1 team in Hobart. Pool C may really fall the Liberty League. If things don't start eating each other up, uh, teams don't start eating each other up, and Hobart has as much chance as anyone to help that fact, ultimately we'll see what happens. What are you going to say? Quick question, for, quick question for you, Frank, because I know you know this stuff better than I do. I did get asked by a fan, what is the, the tiebreaker scenario, let's say, if Union, Ithaca, and Hobart all finish the season 9-1? and one? Now, what I recall is initially it's the head-to-head matchup, but since you have, you know, Team A, B, B, and C, and so on and so forth, the next level down has to do with how many wins over programs over 500. Is that right? 500 or over, yes. Uh, so uh, basically, if you have quality wins, uh, you uh, look better uh, in that assessment, ultimately. We'll look more at that a little bit later when we're looking at standings. That might help us uh, get there, but obviously Union be behind the eight ball like that because they don't have many results against uh, teams at 500 or over. Uh, finally, NESCAC, before uh, we forget here, Wesleyan had to come back in the night game against Tufts. 20-13, though, they remain undefeated at 5-0. It took a touchdown with six seconds left. Is that uh, what I'm reading here? A 29-yard touchdown pass? <laughs> it looks like I had an extra zero. Yes, That's okay. There was only yeah, it'll edit it. Uh, yes, yeah, six seconds left. Um, you know, one of his uh, 130 receiving yards. A great game by wide receiver Matt Simcoe to uh, to bail out the Cardinals, who were one of two undefeated teams. Speaking of undefeated teams in the NESCAC, Middlebury dodged some bullets um, and got lucky with some missed kicks from the Mules to hang on in their game. It's kind of ironic if you think about the Mule having some bad kicks. But uh, 27-26, Middlebury does win against Colby and uh, had a rally from 13-0 down in the uh, first half to win the game. Amherst, though, trying to keep pace at 4-1, 36-14, three turnovers forced by the defense of Amherst helps win that game. Trinity beats up on Bates, 51-0, uh, gained them 4-16-105, and Williams keeping pace at 4-1. Uh, against Hamilton, they beat them 35-10. to 10. Uh, Bobby M. Uh, with 271, five passing touchdowns and one interception. You knew that was coming. And that is crunch time for week six. So, JB, um, instead of doing your normal stat chat uh, at this point, stat chat, we'll, we'll call JB stat chat from now on. Uh, yeah, see that? We're going to have a mid-year report card. And let's look at uh, some yeah. of the things. As always, I'll read uh, the one off. I'll by saying that these stats are based through week five. So, um, you know, 10 games of the season. Most of these players have played either four or five games. They definitely, some of this stuff did change a little bit through week six. Um, but for the most part, just kind of like right, week five seemed like a good cutoff to me. 
So if you want to ping me at D three FB huddle on Twitter and said, Hey, no, you're wrong about this, that that's fair. But that, you know, through five weeks, this is kind of what I was seeing. Uh, and we'll, we'll do a year end report card, um, down, down the road, but, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of teams, uh, listed at the, at the top where I think there's still meeting expectations like Western New England, who's still undefeated in D3. Don't forget that. Um, Endicott, Framingham, Wesley, Middlebury, and so on. Um, but there are a number of teams where I kind of, my preseason predictions were, were whiffs, um, I mean, Montclair State good, starting good, to turn. Good, good and bad, I should interrupt and say, in terms of teams that outperformed what you thought or underperformed what you thought. Uh, so when you see a Salisbury in this list, you didn't see them coming. It's basically what it means. Well, I didn't see them as a undefeated team at this stretch in the road. I think I predicted that they would be like a, a second or third place team in the NJAC. And Second place still could possibly happen, but with the win with Wesley, they're, they're in the driver's seat. So they're actually, yes, they are overperforming based on what I thought, given what they had lost to graduation. And uh, same thing with Wesley. And um, didn't see them being 5-0 and at this point in the season. They had graduated a number of, of uh, key talent, especially their quarterback from last season. Union, same thing. Um, I think that I thought they might be a third, fourth place team in the Liberty League. Now they might be the potential champions. So there's a lot of teams on this list. Um, Westcon also. Uh, <laughs> Merchant Marine. I mean, every year I fall for Toop's thing about how, like, oh, man, we're really, yeah, mm, it's going to be a tough season. Toop, really? Come on, man. I mean, look, this, look at these guys. They're undefeated in the new Mac. They're going to, you know, they had the, the one hiccup in week one, but they're they're doing great. Um, so yeah, overall, I think they're you know the players who stood out to me, um, Michael Nobile for defense. I did double check this one, Frank. He is still first in the in the nation as far as tackles for loss um, for Del Val. Uh, awesome defensive player, only a sophomore, having a great season for the Aggies, and that'll be a, uh, something we'll talk a little more about with the uh, Wilkes game coming up. Um, uh, Griffin from Alfred, uh, as of week five, was the second in the nation. He's still in the top 10 um, as far as uh, rushing yards goes, which is pretty impressive. You know, see this guy, he's a senior, but he was uh, basically a backup uh, to Naz Smith the last couple seasons, really you know, shining so far for the Saxons, who are still in the Empire 8 hunt. And then Stephen Gaychuk, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago uh, at the time, at end of week three, was third in the nation. The crazy thing, Frank, is actually end of week three, they were all top five um, passing yards, uh, quarterbacks in the nation, all East region guys. Uh, Peters from UNE, uh, McGahee from, from Widener, uh, Gaychuk from uh, Mass Dartmouth, uh, Dunn from Norwich, and Groshaw from, uh, from St. Lawrence. Pretty awesome to see. We, I guess we like to air it out here in the East. Yeah, you would think uh, the Jackson Erdman's of the world will be uh, on top of that list, but uh, not this year yet, at least. Uh, he's getting there, uh, from what I understand. And uh, when we recompute this list at some point, I'm sure you'll see him at some high level. But for now, you're right, uh, absolutely. JB, uh, before we jump into our standings and schedule review that we do every week, uh, I think we're going to start with the ECFC anyway. Let's talk about Anna Maria again. And this kind of surprise situation where they are the best looking one in five team in the country because they are atop their conference at one in five with Gallaudet. Uh, Dean, again, is not going to be able to qualify for the pool A bid. So uh, if they won the conference, the second place team would get it uh, at that point. So Anna Maria will face Dean this coming weekend. We'll talk more about that in this interview and later on as well. But Dan Mulroney, ring the bell, ring the bell, ring the bell. Let's talk to him here. Well, it's time to talk to Coach Mulroney. Uh, now, Coach, uh, ring the bell. You rang the bell. I mean, finally ring the bell this season, making JB and I look uh, decent now because we've been saying this bell is going to be ringing all season long. How does it feel to get that win against Alfred State? Yeah, it felt really good. I feel like we were we were stuck at a stop sign for a long time, and it felt good for the for the red light to turn green. And you know, I, I appreciate your guys' support for you know being bullish about us the the first uh, during preseason and hype, hop, hopping on hype train. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, our our team deserves it. We're we're a good group of kids. We are, I'm really proud of the team and the coaches and really the young men in our program for stepping up to the plate. Um, 
and, and put us in a decent position for the for the second half of the season. So, Coach, tell us a little bit about the roller coaster ride there at the very end, because you you kind of had. Uh, it looked like you made a little bit of a quarterback change because Leak had had some success for you in the first half, and but it was uh, Kingsley who uh, you know threw the game-winning touchdown and um, down the stretch. So just kind of walk us through that roller coaster ride of you know you guys go down the field in 75 yards to get within you know six points. The defensive stand, you know, you, you did a great job managing your timeouts, and then there was that the fumble that um, I think uh, was it is it. Uh, and Antoine Inch, or what? I should get that right. Um, he was like he was the EFC Ty Sean uh, Anderson. The, yeah, the the player, the defensive player of the week with twenty four tackles. How do I mess that name up? But you know, kind of walk us through the roller coaster ride and what that was like at the end of the game. Yeah, that was one of the wildest games I've been in as as a coach or as a player. You know, I, I haven't been in too many games where it came to it was twenty to six with a minute and like twenty five left in the game. Um, you know the you know the game was electric near the end. Our kids stuck with it. We we scored with you know Tanner Kingsley is a transfer from Central Connecticut State. Um, he was out the first couple of weeks with injury and some things going on. We got him back in in the second half of this game. He really stepped up to the plate and he threw a great ball the last two drives. So we're real proud of his uh, his level of mentorship and experience that he can bring to the table for our football team. Um, Tyshawn Anderson had one of the best games I've ever seen, you know, as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive coach. I mean, he came up really big for us late in the stretch. We, we got an onside kick, and they called him the illegal touching. Um, and with about a minute 13 left, we burned both timeouts. And on third down, wow. he forced a fumble and recovered it to help us uh, uh, get that final drive. So, and Tanner threw a great ball at the end of the game and both converted the third downs. It was just an awesome game. Um, our kids deserved it. They've been dealing with a lot of adversity through the first five weeks and trying to find their identity. And, you know, Alfred State's a good football team. They're going to beat some teams in our league. And, and, you know, that was a big win for our program. So, Coach, did people, when you went to uh, take the job at Amory, call you crazy or question uh, the move? Because in the first six seasons, the team won six games. Uh, and uh, that was, I, I think, uh, you came in around the eighth season there, uh, give or take. And... It didn't get any better uh, for a little bit uh, for your time, obviously. But, you know, what, what really motivated you besides wanting to be a head coach? Why Anna Maria? I mean, with a, a football program with not really much history or any history it had, wasn't much, very positive at the time. Why did you want this uh, gig, as they call it? <laughs> that's a good question. I guess if it's not hard, it's not fun, right? And I, and I think that's part of the, uh, part of the equation. Um, yeah, I mean I, I mean, I knew what I was walking into. Um, I knew if there was someone with enough energy and passion to turn, you know, something around that's never been anything, um, I'd be the right man for the job. Um, you know, I, I knew it was a local school that hadn't had much success. The, the most exciting part to me was what better job can you take? I mean, a, a team that's never had success. I mean, there's no ceiling there. I mean, I think if you win three games, you're the best coach ever, right? So I'm going for that this year. But, um, you know, ultimately, I mean, there's never been a, a successful year. So if you're able to do something special at a place that's never been special, um, you, you can really light, light some uh, – it could really be a career jolt for you. I, I, I get the adage of, you know, it could be, you know, don't just take a head coaching job to take it. It could be your last, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe in that. I really don't. I think it's all about – the young men in your program, and the reason your coach isn't to win or lose games, at least that's not my reason, um, is to really change these kids' lives for the positive. And that's really what we're doing here every day. I mean, there's a lot of miracle work done here that, that goes unnoticed. And I know you really notice it when we win or lose football games, but that's, that's not the real reason you do something. Uh, you do it for more than just that. Well, I, let me follow up if I can. The administration, uh, the athletic director and above him even, uh, to the president of the school, is there – some sort of expectation on you to that you're going to get to the second and third and fourth wins at a certain point? Or do they give you the support that you need ultimately to do it? Take us kind of behind the maturation of what was a young program that's maturing at this point and what you feel like they're looking to you for at this point in time, most of all, from what they've told you. Yeah, this place is amazing. I mean, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in what's going on. Our president is, is elite in terms of understanding that this place wants to be a great football program. Everyone wants to win. Everyone's supportive. Like, you know, you, you win the other day and, you know, everyone, it's almost like poor me for a long time. But, 
you know, I think adversity has, has brought us to this point. Our administration, our new AD, our old AD, I mean, everyone that's associated with our program is, is all about football, athletics, um, and really building this program into what I think it can be. And that's a powerhouse in New England. I really do. I believe it. It's going to take time. It's, you know, time and patience is something I'm not good at. I don't think any coach is good at. Um, but it's going to take some time. When you, when you walked in a program here with, with really not in the right you know, space here with eight to ten players on it two years ago, you know, you, you kind of got to you know, dig it out of a grave. And, and I think we've done that. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, the rest of the season here, we're in position now to play a meaningful football game in Paxton. I mean, let's go. I mean, that's exciting. That's exciting. I mean, if, there, there it is. Let's go. Let's go. I had to give you one, Frank. I had to give you one. I had to give you one. But no, well I'm done. excited. You know, a meaningful football game in Paxton in October. I mean, we haven't had that in a long time. Yeah. You've got your homecoming weekend coming up. You've got Dean College, who's also 1-0 in the conference, just like you guys. Uh, you played them real tough in the last game of the season uh, last year. Um, you know, Five-point game, I think it was six-point game, something like that. A lot of the, a lot of close games, and so yeah, this is a, this is definitely one. I mean, hey, you know, someone's got to go to the playoffs from the ECFC. Why not Anna Maria? I, I literally uh, I sent an email to our team. I usually do that every night. I send an email to our team, motivating our guys for the next day. Um, I, the, literally, the title was "Why Not Us?" And, and I think that we put ourselves in position. We won a really close football game. We sneaked out of Alfred. Um, just by the hair, uh, just by a hair there. And that was important. I mean, it kept our, our miracle alive here. I think it would be a great story. I think, you know, for people who work hard and do things the right way, and, you know, I'm a firm believer in good things happen to good people who work hard. Um, and, you know, we're excited to, to be in position to have some meaningful games and to, you know, to go out there and try to do something special. I think it would be a great story. I think our, our players deserve it. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens. You realize... Uh, and I know JB knows this. Uh, it's been since year 2010 since a five and five team reached the playoffs, and that was St. Lawrence in the Liberty League uh, back in 2010. You would have to go Definitely. five and five, possibly, or even four and six might be able to do it based on what uh, you know the, the conditions right now are in the ECFC. You would qualify for the playoffs. If I mean, this is uncharted territory you've been talking about it because you are 1-0 and there is a team that you, seems beatable right now, although they've been all over the map in, you know, the Dean Bulldogs, uh, who are technically not eligible uh, to take the AQ this year. But you got to beat them either way here. How do you beat this team? Uh, they, they, they seem to give up a lot of points, but score a lot of points. This could be a shootout. But uh, if you, you get players with 24 tackles, again, maybe not. How do you game plan for this game? Yeah, I think with, with our league, I think it's such a, a competitive game, no matter what, who, whoever you face. And the games are going to be wild. I think you saw this first weekend, it was like, you know, 28-27 overtime, Castleton over, or guard that over Castleton. I think you saw our game one point. Um, Dean Maritime was 10-7 at halftime. Every week's going to be wild. Um, you know, there, there's not a, a, an over. There's not a hustling anymore. There's not one of those teams in the conference that's just you know the the far away leader. I think it's going to be a fun stretch. I think every week is attention to detail. It's coaching your butt off. Um, it's getting ready to go. They have good players. We have good players. It's just a matchup thing. Um, I think every week it's all a matchup thing in terms of that. I, I I don't think you know. I know you know four and six, five and five. Other conferences look at it that have seven and three teams and five and five teams. Listen, we can only control what we can control. And that's the schedule we have. As as much as our bad as our conference is, or what other people want to say, um, listen, we're we're excited to be in the conference because this is what you know. The only thing this is a card we're dealt, and and we'll make the most of it. Yeah, you guys are certainly succeeding in in, in some respects because not every you know New England football school is still around anymore, <laughs> and so um, it's one of those one of those things where you know it looks. When we talk, well, we spoke in the in the preseason. I mean, you guys are putting out a lot of stuff in social media. You've got you know guys with the championship belt. You've got the you know all, all sorts of different uniform combinations. I mean, it, it does seem like you you get the um, I guess today's market for lack of better term, and you're putting stuff out there. And like you said, it's going to take some time, but it feels like you know there's something building there, and and uh, it's been it's been fun to see. It finally pay off uh, with with the win last Saturday. No, yeah, I, I appreciate it, James, a lot. I mean, 
I have a big appetite for marketing and recruiting, and I think that's the fastest way to turn around a program is get really good players that are compelled and are passionate about football. I don't know a lot of things, but what I do know is I read a couple books on great coaches, and to be great forever, you need to find people who love the game and, and have them around. I think when you open up the hood of the car, when you win or lose, it's usually the people who have the most compelled people under the hood um, that are going to win those games. And you got to find people who love the game um, and can't really live without it. And I think that's the thing we, we try to preach here. We have passion for families slapped all across the walls. And, you know, we, we try to do things a little differently here with a little more energy and enthusiasm than some other programs. But at the end of the day, you know, football is football. And, and we want to attract the, the best, you know, young men to come and compete. Um, we have a really quality experience here. We really care as coaches. And, you know, I think they show the, I think I show the passion and, and the enthusiasm every day. And I think it feeds off to the players. Yeah. So you came from WPI. Uh, our good friend C-Rob uh, is a fan of the show, and we want to sort of, uh, you know, hear your uh, thoughts and any stories you may have on C-Rob. Uh, you know, I, I have a feeling there's there's some good stories in the war chest on this one uh, when you were defensive coordinator back in the day. <laughs> so feel free to give us your thoughts on C-Rob and tell us the best C-Rob story that you can. Remember, it is a family show. <laughs> Uh, uh, first of all, Coach Rob is, is my biggest mentor. He's one of my best friends. We, we text every, almost every day. Um, you know, he was the first one to text me, you know, go get it this week. You know, you got it. Me and Jake are going to be watching his, his young son there, who's actually a football player, too, and an athlete, baseball player. It's a big shout-out to you. Um, but, but uh, you know, Coach Rob's stories, you know, we had a great time there at WPI together, you know, the two worst days of our lives, we talked about it all the time, was when we had to face each other uh, the last two years, and, and he kicked my butt yeah. for two years straight, and those are the two worst <laughs> days, but I, I think it could be a funny deal if somehow, I don't know if New Mac plays the ECFC, but I think they're going to go 10-0 and in the in the New Mac here um, and have a, a really special season for him, and, and I'm just really excited for the program he's built and, and and, and how I helped him build that class of the seniors and things like that, too. I know I had a big hand in that recruiting class, and I'm really proud of those kids, you know, watching them in the last year. I know Sean McAllen, some of those guys that I recruited, you know, are doing so great. Um, I'm really proud of those kids to, to give Coach Rob a great season. And I don't, know if, I don't know if we'll see each other in year three, but that'd be pretty cool. Two teams in Worcester facing each other in the playoffs if we somehow have a special year. Well, Jim Catanzaro has a good sense of humor, uh, the uh, chair of the NCAA committee, and I'm sure he will help <laughs> yeah, lead he that discussion to maybe, just maybe, make that happen if it were to happen. First things first, JB? you got Dean. JB, uh, anything left on your oh, end? Oh, no, I know that. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I just wanted to give, you know, Coach, you know, some kudos because, yeah, I mean, I think a big reason for, you know, WPI's success this year is, is the top, you know, team in New England right now. You know, like you said, that senior class is 35 guys, a lot of which you recruited and brought in. And that defensive scheme that you got, um, you know, uh, set up there is really – it's taken C-Rob some time, but it's it's starting to pay off too. So obviously, there's a you you have it. You know, you're a young guy. I don't even think about how much younger you are than me. Um, but uh, you know, you've, you you have a track record already, and it's why you know places like the AFCA have you know recognized you as being one of the top coaches under 35. I don't even think you're even 30 yet. So, I mean, geez. Um, we're a bunch of old old men over here, Frank and I. But um, it's been fun to watch. You know, what the progress and and hey. Big game this weekend, like you said. It's October football. It's going to be homecoming. It's going to be an exciting environment for you guys up there in Paxton. Yeah, like I said, I appreciate you guys. You guys do a great job, too. And, you know, I think, you know, the sky's the limit for Anna Maria football. The sky's the limit for myself. The sky's the limit for our players. Um, listen, we, we have a lot of fun here. And, and I think that's that's the best part, you know. It's better than being a plumber, like Bill Belichick always says, right? Um <laughs> You know, it's something that, you know, we love to do. And, you know, I think it's it's great. You know, coaching young men is the best thing you can do in life. And it's it's definitely my passion. It's something I want to do forever. Um, whatever happens this year, we're going to do it with a lot of enthusiasm. And, and we're going to have fun doing it. And I know that. Coach, if you beat Dean, I will come up for the SUNY Maritime game. I'm going to tell you that flat out right now. And uh, that means I'm going to throw Let's go. Aside. That's there it is. Another, Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's go. Ring the bell. <laughs> I'll JB, tell you what. I'm excited. Yeah, well, let's see what happens here. Uh, Dean is uh, no pushover of a team in the ECFC. Uh, no, he, that's a good team. 
could really. No, you just don't know which one you're going to get every week. I think that's the problem for Dean. They're just inconsistent. But, uh, you know, I, I felt bad that one day we were talking about it on the show not that long ago when there's, uh, student broadcasters were sort of dissing their own team. And that's not cool. We don't uh, agree yeah. with that kind of thing. But it happens. But hopefully they've gotten better about that and word reach, hopefully. But that team last year was doing things which nobody really expected. And now consistency issue is probably hitting them and injuries happen and everything else. So uh, don't take them lightly uh, because Dean is probably looking to come out strong. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're one of the most talented teams top to bottom in our league. And, and Coach Tyrell does a great job of, number one, recruiting. Number two, coaching this guy. He's been coaching for a long time. He has great scheme. He has, he has great players. He has great coaches. And, and it's a it's a major, major challenge for us. I mean, every game's a major challenge. I mean, we snuck out of Dodge last week against a team that I believe is a good team and I think will shock a lot of people. They beat a, they beat a Rochester team in the Liberty League, did some good things. Um, but Dean's no pushover. You know, we got to work hard. We got to do the things we're trying to do here to, to get us in the game in the fourth quarter. It's going to be a close football game and, you know, it's going to be an exciting atmosphere. So, you know, we'll see if we get it done. And, and that's the goal. Um, again, I have confidence in my guys and my coaches and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep rolling. We'll try to keep it going. Hopefully never look back. Coach, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you. Ring the bell. Yeah, I, you know what? That was fun. Okay, Let, let's not kid ourselves. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, but uh, what a what an enthusiastic, great guy. I mean, you can see why he's a favorite of so many East Region uh, coaches and and you know guys kind of across the country. Um, does done a great job. You know, he he doesn't have much to work with. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, they're just still trying to build that uh, program up and. Um, you know, having some fits and starts, but this past weekend was a big win for them. They really needed to kind of get off the side there, and, and now they have a meaningful uh, homecoming game that's kind of almost a, a – not a de facto, but at least we'll definitely have a, 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 a big part in who ends up winning the Pool A uh, playoff bid from the ECFC. Their enrollment is 866 students. Think about that, okay? And so the percentages that play into how big your football team is in relationship to your – actual enrollment figure. Always a tough thing. Uh, Amcat Field seats a thousand people. If I go there, I, I wonder if they're going to even have a seat for me uh, if uh, I go up for that merch or for that SUNY Maritime game uh, coming up. Let's go to the standings here as we talk about this, uh, but you will see as we are pointing out, Gallaudet, Dean, and Anna Maria at 1-0. SUNY Maritime, Alfred State, and Castleton at 0-1. Now a lot could change, obviously, but Unless Gallaudet wins this conference, which I have a tough time believing is possible right now with the way that they've performed, even in the game that they won, it was a tough game. Uh, yeah. You're going to have a four-loss team win the conference otherwise. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. But as we uh, reference, the big game seems to be the Dean game uh, at 1 o'clock. And Alfred State at Gallaudet, uh, Gallaudet's going to uh, really have a chance here. They're going to have to get by Alfred State, who seems to be an improved team as it is. So we'll probably predict at least one of these games uh, on Friday. But notice here that, uh, you know, Dina Anna Maria, who would have thought that? And Castleton, Sunday Maritime really becomes an elimination game at this point with two on one yeah. teams going at it at that point. In the CCC, we didn't have much action in the CCC as they basically took a week off before re-diving into conference play. But Endicott mm -hmm. and Western New England sitting there at 4-1, though uh, Western New England has a 93 game attached with the Stetson game. But 2-0, yep. 2-0, and then Husson at 2-3, 2-0. They cannot be underestimated. We joke all the time yep. about my whole Becker thing with Endicott and whatnot, but there are teams that are just very good teams that didn't get a good start in the season. And Hassan is one of those teams. And so when they go up against the rest of the pack, look out. And we have, uh, schedule-wise, uh, Curry-Endicott game, which shouldn't be, I don't think, too much of a game the way that Curry has been struggling a little bit this season. But Salve Regina at Western New England could be an interesting game. That's kind of like a mini rivalry going on there uh, over the years. Yeah. And uh, University of New England at Husson, the Battle of Maine going on up there. We'll see uh, you know, if the Nor'easters can maybe 
settle down Hassan uh, and really have a signature win for the program if they're able to do so, but always tough to win when Hassan is at home. Uh, So there is the CCC. Let's just keep rolling for a second to new Mac. WPI, Merchant Marine. Merchant Marine with a game in hand, we should point out. They're 3-0 right now. WPI at 2-0. But, you know, when you unfold it and unpack it, I, the, the game in hand for Merchant Marine really probably is the main maritime game more than anything else. And so, you know, that should be a win for almost anybody in the conference. It's a question here of Merchant Marine, can they consistently win? And there's a big game going on at Merchant Marine this week. Maybe that's the game I attend. Who knows? Uh, Springfield at Merchant Marine at 2 o'clock. I, oh, well. you, a one one loss. Yep. <laughs> That game should be over within about 10 minutes. Um, and <laughs> Springfield, uh, with only one loss in the conference, at Merchant Marine, who's undefeated in, unde- in the conference, and uh, only what one loss overall against FD Florham. Uh, big yep. game there. And so, you know, the other games, not too tantalizing. WPI Catholic and Coast Guard at Maine Maritime. New England... Overall, we got one more New England conference to go through here uh, besides the NESCAC later. But are you getting the feeling here that the New England conferences are not going to be settled for a while? That we're going to go to week nine and week 10 and still have a couple question marks going on? Yeah, I think so. And as much as, you know, as much grief, I think that New England takes at the national level. Um, at the end of the day, they, they, they play a competitive brand of football. And it's not, you know, it's not like some of these. Um, you know, Ohio or other mid, you know, Western conferences where, you know, it's one team and a bunch of others that are kind of, eh, you know, you saw, you know, John Carroll beat Capital at like 90 to nothing. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's, that's not interesting. Um, and so, uh, you know, say what you want about these New England teams. Uh, they, they have competitive games, a lot of great uh, smart kids um, and great coaching staffs and, and so on. So, yeah, I think this, uh, all of these New England, I mean, CCC still up in the air. ECFC is still up in the air. Numax is still up in the air. NESCAC is looks like it's coming down to Middlebury Wesleyan. So that's, you know, there's starting to be some separation there. But, um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting finish for a lot of these conferences. And the MASCAC, which you uh, did not mention, but it was coming up next here. Uh, WestCon and Framingham State at 3-0 each. But then you have four teams just waiting outside of that uh, top two for those two to trip up. And obviously one of them has got to uh, lose the game they play against each other. Uh, Plymouth State, yep. Bridgewater State, Mass Maritime, and Mass Dartmouth at one loss each in conference. Now, the interesting thing is uh, the big game, the Wisconsin Framingham State game, is actually two weeks yep. away. So, Framingham State's going to have to play Plymouth State first. They're going to have to get through a team that I think can beat them and has proven well, that. Last two years, so yeah, yep. this is a big game for Framingham. They need to figure out a way to put the to get the Panthers behind them because they keep getting tripped up by them each year. Yep, and so Plymouth State knows that and is hosting the game, one o'clock game. Uh, while Westcon again using that home cooking in the evening, uh, Westfield State at Westcon at four o'clock on uh, this Saturday. And then Westcon's got to go to Framingham State. Now, the, conceivably, the following could happen: Framingham State loses to Plymouth State. WestCon loses to Framingham State the following week, and then that big pool of one-loss teams you saw—they're all in play. And we got to start talking about tiebreakers at that point because yeah, I don't know, know if everybody can knock each other off at that point. We may end up with an, an, an inevitable tiebreaker scenario. See it with me, folks. Uh, so we'll keep our eye on that. Let's go to the end, Jack. Here, Salisbury with that big win against Wesley has uh, taken. A lead here, but I mean Wesley Kane, Montclair, TCNJ, Christopher Newport, and Rowan all at one one. Kind of funny how this conference that has seemed to fall back to a little bit of mediocrity of sorts with their out of conference play is playing some mediocrity within themselves right now. And Salisbury's got to be careful. There are some definite troublesome games, and we talked with Patrick Bernardo. Uh, I believe uh, was our player guest on. Uh, you know, you'll see it on Thursday. But uh, we talked about this Rowan-Salisbury game. We want to hear his insight about it because he knows that Rowan team is not to be taken lightly. They're 1-4, but only in record. They played a tremendous schedule. You learn a lot from that stuff. And when you got nothing to really lose, we always say it, those teams can come out, I'll say balls to the wall pretty much, 
uh, and win the game. Hey, they're, they're ballers, right? So the, that's what I mean by that. Yep. And uh, win that game uh, against the Salisbury team. So Salisbury has to be very careful in a game like this. Uh, you know, nothing else jumping up or jumping out at me here. Wesley William Patterson. I mean, if William Patterson wants a signature win, there's a chance to get one uh, this weekend. One thing that jumped out at me, Frank, was that there was there was a, a pretty clear uh, quarterback change with Christopher Newport, who uh, was one of those teams I, I whiffed on. I thought that they were going to be a potential seven or uh, eight win team this season. Didn't really pan out that way, even with the extra trip to Canada that gave them extra practice time compared to the other teams in the conference. Um, yeah, but this new quarterback, maybe you know, it happened with Wesley when Mullen took over. Um, you know, after the uh, after the Del Val game, uh, I'm sorry, the Endicott game. So sometimes it just uh, sometimes a change is needed, and you know, don't sleep on the captains. I mean, I know that they've struggled, but they could be another like that Rowan team, one and four. They're they're still in the mix here, so you just got to watch out. The MAC is going to play out interestingly because remember Del Val and Misericordia again, do not play each other this season because of the way the round robin works in the MAC. They'll always preserve the rivalry games, and that means that it's not a full round robin per se in the MAC, and that's why it's possible not to play each other for a couple of years in a row. So DelVal and Misericordia have the ability, possibly, to win out and finish undefeated and not play each other. If that happens, we'll have to dig out that tiebreaker uh, scenario again because they'll both have one loss in that scenario, don't forget. Uh, yeah. Granted, I think Del Val has 10 games in her schedule and Misericordia because of the whole NJAC mess, I think it only has nine games that they do. So uh, maybe that plays into, I don't know, because one would be 9-1, one would be 8-1. and one, But we'll go back and get that stuff out when we need to. I think Misericordia's got an interesting game uh, with... The Wilkes-Delval game obviously being an important game because that's going to take somebody out of the ranks of the undefeated uh, this coming yep. weekend at Wilkes, 1 o'clock. But you you got to look at this Misericordia-FDU-Florum game. This is a game where FDU-Florum, to me, has a real chance hosting the game. I think this is the type of game, again, where FDU-Florum will actually take a lead probably into halftime, and then they're going to have to figure out a way to do what a lot of other teams can't do, which, which is really hold on and win the game. I, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a tough ask, it seems like, for anybody facing Misericordia. They just, I, I, I'm beginning to wonder, I, I don't watch many of their games throughout, so I'm wondering if in the first half, they're not like in the library while the other team's playing, you know, you know the second and third stringers, and then the first uh, team comes out of the library after halftime and actually shows up and plays the game. Because I just can't explain how this team keeps doing this for two straight seasons. You know, like, oh, they're down by two possessions. It, it, they're done. And you go look at the final score, it's like, are you kidding me? Again? But that's Again. Misericordia. FDU yeah. Forum. I would not be shocked if this game plays out that way one more time because FDU Forum has got the guns to do that. We know that. Uh, all yep. right, Stevenson, Alvernia, Kings, and Lebanon Valley at Widener, the other games in the conference. Uh, let's go to your uh, former home area and my current, technically, New York, and Cortland, Brockport, and Alfred, all just sitting there undefeated in the conference. With Cortland, the only undefeated team, but boy, Brockport playing like one right now. They've got the week off, so they'll get to sit yep. back and watch. Alfred at Cortland, huge game. One o'clock. Give me some uh, preview on that game. Well, I think it's going to be a shootout because what we saw um, this past weekend, and we didn't really talk about it in the in crunch time, was that Morrisville State gave the Dragons a pretty good run for their money. I know that the final score showed they won by two touchdowns, but it was a it was a one possession game um, pretty much throughout the whole second half until the very end. So. Um, they gave up a, a ton, almost 400 passing yards to uh, to Morrisville. Uh, Sacton's more of a running team. It'll come down to whether or not Griffin can uh, can you know keep churning those yards and keeping Brett Segal and company on uh, on the sideline. This could come down to a final possession type of situation too. Um, I think the Dragons. I don't want to say they're overrated, but they their defense has shown some issues that could be exploited in Empire Eight play. We'll see. 
Yeah, I, I will give the nod here to the home team, uh, and we'll talk more about it Friday probably in our predictions, but I, I, I can't see how you would make Alfred a favorite here, uh, obviously. I, I think Cortland's a clear favorite, but you yeah. know, one game does not a trend make, and I, I think that the hiccup versus Morrisville State is under, maybe looking ahead on your calendar. Yeah, Morrisville's a good team, though. They've got a solid offense, big offensive line. Uh, good quarterback, so it's not like there's any shame or you know, but uh, but yeah, I would I agree with you. I would say Cortland is definitely the favorite here, but uh, Alfred could win it. St. John Fisher at Hartwick and Morrisville State at Utica. That could be an interesting game actually at Utica at one o'clock yeah. on Saturday. Uh, Liberty cool. League, yeah, uh, Liberty League, Union and Ithaca two and zero each, five and zero overall. Hobart RPI sitting there uh, behind with one loss each. Obviously, St. Lawrence and Buffalo State with one loss, but uh, they have only played one conference game so far. So we'll point that out. Uh, coming up, though, you know, there's one game that's going to help, I think, solidify some of where we're going from here. Rochester at Buffalo State isn't that game. St. Lawrence at Union isn't that game, probably, although Union's got to be careful because St. Lawrence is looking a lot better overall. Let's not kid ourselves here. They are not the team that lost badly in the opening weekend to Utica, but they're obviously still inconsistent. Yep. Hobart at Ithaca. Big game, uh, no matter yep. how you slice it. Does Hobart have the guns after the showing versus Union and then kind of flipping back back at home, the showing against RPI, which Hobart team's going to step forward here against Ithaca? I think Ithaca should be concerned that Hobart can beat them. They can, but they can. Yeah, and I think, you know, Hobart is going to have to um, rely on its defense and probably special teams. Points are going to be um, hard to come by against the Ithaca defense, which has looked solid at times, but also you know, gave up 25 points in the second half to uh, St. John Fisher team, almost 500 yards there. Uh, so there are some chinks in the armor that Hobart could look to exploit with their experienced receiving core. But the question I have is, you know, Brian Hoffman and that offensive line, can they, uh, can they play a consistent game um, against a, uh, an attacking um, Bombers defense that, you know, Hoffman struggled a little bit with accuracy. You know, he, he will hit on the long ball, but he'll also miss a, a few times here and has had some issues with turnovers. It, it, it killed him in the, in the union game. Um, and so, you know, they, they can't uh, allow any takeaways. But Joe Germanario hasn't lost to Hobart in, in his career. He's, he's lit him up um, in the past few times he's played him. So he's you know, definitely has experience there. It'll kind of boil down to Ken, you know, players like Emmett Ford, who's already on my, you know, All-American potential list if, if I had a vote, um, playing great on defense. Can he, you know, get into the backfield and create problems? Uh, or is it just going to be, you know, the Bombers just putting it up and Joe, uh, Will Gladney just catching touchdowns, Vito catching touchdowns? We'll see. Then you look at what's left here in the NESCAC. Middlebury, Wesleyan, they play each other this weekend. 5-0 mm -hmm. teams. Going at it. This sets things up, <clears throat> interestingly, excuse me, because remember, the biggest little game in the country is still in week 11, despite the shuffle of the schedule going on. Right. And Amherst and Williams sitting there 4-1, and 4-1. and one. They still have some say against the teams above them right now. That game is starting to line up as a huge game for at least one of those teams, if not both, if they can yep. make a statement against whoever comes out of the Middlebury-Wesleyan game as the winner, ultimately. And mm -hmm. there's a lot still to be written, I think, about the NESCAC. The winner of this game on Saturday, I don't think has a free and clear you know, pathway to the NESCAC championship. I think there's going to have to be a lot of you know, defending your turf at that point and yeah. some tough games to come up. Because if you look at Middlebury's remaining schedule, uh, Bowden-Hamilton-Tufts, so out of the two of them, that's probably the toughest schedule, or the, the easiest schedule, rather. Uh, the Wesleyan with the right. uh, toughest, tougher schedule is Middlebury, Amherst, Williams, and Trinity. Okay? Whoa. So tough, yeah. if, if Wesleyan beats Middlebury, Wesleyan's going to have to defend itself pretty big time 
with what's left. Yeah. If Middlebury beats Wesleyan, they just have to avoid the shock factor from a team uh, well below them is what it's turning into. So stay tuned. Amherst-Williams could still be a huge game bigger than the norm. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a Williams fan, you're 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 cheering for Wesley in this weekend to knock off Middlebury and open up the race. Um, with Amherst, I think kind of the same kind of the same deal. So, uh, you know, Wesley and winning would be would make things in the in the NESCAC more interesting. If Middlebury gets it done, and they have, although they almost uh, lost this past weekend, then it might be smooth sailing for the Panthers. I'll, I'll take it a step further because of the tiebreaker, the way uh, things end up working here. Middlebury, if they end up winning, has now beaten at that point Wesleyan, Amherst, and Williams. And so they'd have to lose two games not to win. And they would be 6-0 at that point. They'd be basically you know, two wins away from winning completely. Uh, they would have yep. the ability to lose a game and not be bitten by it. So Wesleyan, if they're able to beat Middlebury, makes it a race of sorts. If Middlebury beats Wesleyan that's huge. That could end it. And so when you look at who they've beaten, who they've played, that's an important thing there, ultimately. JB, closing out here, uh, things to look forward to in week seven, uh, you know, as you're looking at it, give me, give me your three top games, the big games you're looking at for uh, week seven, and we'll predict some of them, obviously, on Friday. Well, I mean, I think as far as like championship caliber games, you'd have to go with with Hobart at Ithaca, um, probably Del Val at, at Wilkes, and then you know, either Alfred at Corland or maybe uh, Wesleyan at Middlebury. But you know, kind of in the undercard, still relevant. Um, you know, Dean at, at at Anna Maria will still have an impact on uh, potential playoff berths. So there's actually, I would say, like ten or twelve. Um, pretty good games this weekend and it should be interesting to see how they they shake out because like you said it's we a couple weeks from now like the very end of October there's some things starting to shape up that could be um, de facto conference title type of situations it'll be interesting to see how it plays out yeah it will be week nine or week 10 where it really starts to happen I think that's what we were asking amongst ourselves on that uh, as well uh, we, we want to do another whip around uh, type show uh, what do we call it the blitzer uh, but uh, we don't know yet if we should do that in week 10 because we're looking at the schedule and some of the shuffling in the schedule has changed some of the implications in that week. But week 9, perhaps, is a big week for that. Week 11 belongs to Cortica, uh, really, for a lot of uh, reasons. And so we're probably yeah. not going to do much that weekend, but we will have Selection Sunday coverage uh, that weekend. So a lot coming up here on In the Huddle. You'll want to stay tuned. Remember, share this. Share it to your friends and family. If you have a... Uh, player in Division Three that you're a fan of or whatnot, remember to share the show because uh, we want everybody in that family to know we exist so they learn a little bit about how this is all working and why you know certain games are important or even the ones that aren't as important and what, what might be behind them a little bit, like uh, rivalry games, etc. So stay tuned. we got a lot of season to go. We'll have uh, a couple of player interviews coming up on Thursday and predictions on Friday. And then back to our regular schedule next week as I have no more obligations to the degree I had last weekend. Talk to you later.